When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mistakes are inevitable, and we have to be able to call them out and also be willing to forgive depending on the circumstances and just hope they're going to do better in the future. Beautifully put. I think so, too. I I think I'm done for today. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Mara. And I'm Pamela. And we have one of our friends joining us again this week. He was last Hi. on in October. I didn't introduce you yet. October. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> October 2021 was when he was last on. Welcome back to the show, John Thrasher. Thank you. Hi, can I speak now? Yes, you, you may. Am you I may allowed speak. to speak, sir, <laughs> man? Uh, hi, everybody. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be back. I am such a big fan of the show and longtime friends. At this point, Pam, you're a longtime friend as well, whether you like it or not. Um, I'll you take guys. it. So thanks. Yeah. Thank you, guys. John also hosts his own podcast called Shaken and Disturbed, a true crime podcast. So tell us about your show, actually, just to catch everybody up. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember 2021. Yeah, we had launched. So I had done, I've been in true crime for quite a while. I won't go through my whole resume, but I did Martinis and Murder, which was a really uh, big, popular true crime show at Oxygen, the true crime television network. And uh, we did that for a while. Darren, my co host, Darren, and I, she and I, you know, loved the stories, loved the fans, loved the audience. We moved on from Oxygen and we started our own true crime show. It's the exact same format. It's called Shaken and Disturbed. And yeah, I mean, we do a uh, true crime case of the week. It's a new episode released every Sunday. We break down all the details. Sometimes we have a drink. We've kind of moved away from the drinking aspect a little tiny bit just because you know, quite frankly, I don't need to be drinking like that much every single week. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's just one of those types of shows. We've been true crime podcasting on the microphone since 2017, which is now kind of a long time ago, if you really yeah. think about it. So. It's like mm-hmm. six, seven years at this point. Yeah. And it's I weird. mean, it's it's cool to see you go independent from Oxygen to yes. doing your own show as well. So. Well, thank you. And I have to give you a huge shout out, Andrew, because you've been such a great friend to me over the last several years as we've gone independent and you've really helped me uh, and the show out in a lot of ways. So thank yeah, you for happy your, to. your kindness there. Yeah, well, and and you've you. been connecting me with people. So, you know, That's we're true. scratching each other's backs. Yeah. I mean, I probably help a little more, but yeah, it's fine. It's all good. Honestly, yes, you do. Absolutely, you do. <laughs> I'm just yeah. messing with you. <laughs> Don't feed his ego. Not this early in the episode. I know. That's true. You're right. You're right. Laura had a question for you about work-life balance. Yeah, because we're all people who wish that we could do our podcast full time. So I'm wondering, how do you balance having a day job and a podcast? Yeah, it's a lot of work. I mean, you know, until recently, I actually just moved 
Pittsburgh and changed jobs and industries about a month and a half ago. Um, it's not super interesting for the show. But prior to that, um, since about 2017, when I was with Oxygen, I was producing that show, Martinis and Murder, as like, you know, part of my job description, essentially, I was a digital producer at Oxygen. And then from there, I moved on to this sounds like a job interview, but I just it's background information <laughs> that I think people should know. Uh, and I moved on to a television production company and I produce more like true crime TV and true crime podcasts. And then most recently, I was at A&E and Lifetime, where I was the senior digital producer for the podcasting uh, division there. So for the last several years, podcasting has been both my full-time job and my side hustle. And I really love it. I mean, it really is, I, I think, especially you guys who have been doing this as a side hustle, especially Andrew and Laura, you guys have really been in this game since long before podcasting was ever a thing. Um you know, it really is a passion of mine. I mean, I think this is what kind of drew the, you know, all of us together um, in some capacity. And yeah, I mean, it's hard. You know, the hardest part for a while, though, was, you know, in the very beginning when I started into true crime in 2017 was kind of balancing the reality of talking and, and producing and living in true crime all day long as your job. Like, and I think I might have touched on that the last time I was on the show. I can't quite remember, to be honest. I, th but I think I remember that, that was, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was tough in the beginning because you're living in death and sadness and, and whatever for all day long. And that did take, that was a little bit difficult, but what I learned after meeting some of the fans and frankly, going to like true crime conventions where we've met some of the listeners is they get a lot of joy out of hearing that, uh, you know, the killers went to jail or, mm. you know, there's some sort of like feeling of justice that was really uh, satisfying to a lot of people. And that's why I think so many people like it. And then there's also people that are adjacent to, um, you know, some of the true crime cases or they know somebody or they've been a part of that situation trag trag tragically, excuse me. And so that is also very rewarding to them as well to know that like their stories getting out there or, or in a uh, story of a disappearance, that the information about that disappearing or that person that's disappeared is getting out there to the masses. And so all of that is very rewarding. And it's, it doesn't really feel, you know, to answer your question, Laura, it doesn't really feel like work when you get home from a long day and you still continue to do some true crime podcasting. For me, it's extremely rewarding to tell these stories and to, you know, be a part of this genre because of all the things I just mentioned. So anyway, again, yeah. feeling like a little bit of a job interview with, with my response there. I apologize, but we'll yeah. call you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Th we Thank you go so now. much for meeting with us today. Yeah. We will definitely <laughs> be in touch. <laughs> I know. It sounds rehearsed, but it does come from my heart. I mean, it, it's it's really true. No, for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because you have you have a really unique mix because you have sort of like, dare I say, like a corporate kind of official podcasting presence. But then you've also <laughs> had experience doing it independently as a freelancer I'm curious to know, would you ever want to go into freelance podcasting full time? Is that something you see yeah. Uh, yeah. as you put together your manifesting board for 2024? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Listen, here's the here's the reality. And I don't know how specifically you guys on this show have felt it, but the podcast industry has been so weird the last couple of years. It's been, you know, 2021 
especially was such a huge year for podcasting. Like advertising was really high and there were new shows and a lot of companies, networks, and entertainment brands were willing to experiment. And then, you know, 2023 happened and everyone's like, okay, we've seen the ROI on on this stuff. You know, maybe we spent a little too much. Um, and by the way, this isn't just anecdotal. You can go find headlines about this industry all over the place. Oh, um, yeah. We've chatted about that on the show. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a tough year. I think as I'm sure you guys know, it ebbs and flows, and I, I'm sure that'll be there will be another peak sometime. But you know, in terms of just passion, yeah, I mean, I would do this full time, of course. Who wouldn't want to just sit on a microphone and talk with their friends and have a drink and you know, you know, a- psychoanalyze killers? I mean, that's and, that's <laughs> the joy of it in a sense. And, and at home, I mean, all of us yes. are recording at home right now. Podcasting is very accessible, which is a reason that I'm very high on it. You can consume podcast no matter what you're doing um you can sound really good as a podcaster even at home and yeah yeah, so i mean i think so yes i think there is a bubble that bursts in the podcasting world however i think this is good news for independent podcasters like us we don't need these fucking celebrities coming in with their dumbass <laughs> shows that have yeah. producers and teams of like 30 people if audiences move back to the indie podcast and there's less attention on celebrity podcasts i think that's great if the ad dollars all shift there i think that's great so yeah it does seem like there's another transition period but i think it could end up being a good one for the indie podcasters well, if anything, it also proves that like you can't just like sell a show based on a name and also that there's like more to it than just putting somebody in front of a microphone. Right. Like that kind of feels very satisfying because I, I don't know, I think that like all of us have have seen the shift from telling people that you do podcasting and then just like looking at you blank face, like what's a podcast to like then telling people you do podcasting and they're like, oh, like little podcast over here because everybody has one now. Like that's it's the butt of a joke. Mm-hmm. And that that is crazy to me because we've gone from two different extremes. So, John, the reason that we're having you on today, since you are a, let's say, a true crime expert, we wanted to talk uh-huh, about uh-huh. Gypsy Rose. <laughs> She's been in the headlines over the last month or so, especially. So we're going to talk about Gypsy Rose and Stan culture. Um, so thanks again, John, for coming on. And before we get into that portion of the episode, just wanted to bring up a couple of other items real quick. Laura, it's primary nights in America once again. Yep. Once again. (laughs) Yep. Here we go. Welcome back. Here we go. (laughs) Welcome back to the shit show. So uh, (laughs) on the evening of this recording, we are waiting for results from New Hampshire's Republican primary to come in. Nobody's really paying attention to the Democratic primary. It doesn't matter anyway. Um, but <laughs> we're going to be watching the New York Times needle throughout the night here to see <laughs> if Nikki Haley is able to move that needle to see if she's able to get the Judge Judy bump. Uh, <laughs> did you guys, did you guys see uh, that? She was endorsed yeah, by Judge Judy. Good for her. Good for her. Can I tell you something? <laughs> I, I have to interject here. I... I'm a huge Judge Judy fan. I for sev- for many years, I would watch two episodes of The Golden Girls and two episodes of Judge Judy <laughs> and I'd go to bed. My mind was would be at ease. <laughs> and to know that she has come out and endorsed Nikki Haley was quite a gut punch for me. Aww. I mean, it's somewhat not surprising mm. if you know Judge Judy. Like I don't know a lot about her personal life, but I was kind of 
kind of bummed out to hear this about Judge Judy, to be honest. Right. One of your heroes is a Republican after all. Oh, man. (laughs) Can you believe it? So I will say that in 2020, she endorsed Bloomberg. So that's right. I, I do remember that. Yes. I think that she's a little more independent, moderate than that. And I did see an interview with her with uh, CNN's Dana Dana Bash uh, talking about why she was endorsing Nikki Haley. And she was like, Trump is a psychopath. <laughs> and okay. he and Bi- she didn't say that literally. I'm paraphrasing. And he and Biden are both too old. My favorite comment was her basically being like, me and Joe Biden are the same age. I run a multi-million dollar company. I make decisions that affect hundreds of people every day. And in the middle of the day, I need a nap. So I know Joe Biden needs a nap too. Oh, and I was like, Jesus Christ, Judy. Um, but yeah, it's, it was just interesting. That was not sort of the uh, the stump speech that I was expecting to see from a celebrity endorsing a candidate. But we'll see if it helps. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. No, I, I probably won't. Yeah, I I tend to feel like Nikki Haley is going to lose New Hampshire. And I just wanted to ask y'all as a matter of prediction, how long until she drops (laughs) out? (laughs) Yeah, it's looking pretty grim for anyone except Donald Trump. So I'll I'll say a couple more weeks she'll hang in. She has said she's going to stay in no matter what happens in New Hampshire, I believe. What's the next stop? South Carolina? Yeah, I'll say through South Carolina and then she'll quietly yeah. bow out well not so quietly but she'll bow out i i agree pam because she's the former governor of south carolina mm, so i think she's point. holding on for that point of pride and yeah but yeah i mean andrew desantis literally after he came in second in iowa was like we're in it for the long haul and four <laughs> days later he dropped out and endorsed trump i know that ruined my uh. weekends i meant i i'm sad that he's <laughs> A loser and and leaving the campaign. I saw some great tweets. I mean, everybody was uh, tweeting about him uh, stepping down. A lot of people were posting memes of Barbie slipping out of her heels. (laughs) It's like Ron DeSantis leaving the campaign trail because he's been wearing some heels of his own. I saw a tweet. I don't know if this is like true or not because it is Twitter or X. And as you can see, if you're watching. Apparently, I love X based on my on my shirt. Um, But uh, I saw something that said that Ron DeSantis spent fifty three million dollars in Iowa and only got thirty thousand votes or something like insane like that. And so it's like I think that really showcases how, frankly, how much of a chokehold Trump has on the Republican Party right now. But um, oh, for sure. Yeah. And also how disliked DeSantis is, to be quite frank. Absolutely, yeah. He's got the Ted Cruz syndrome going on. (laughs) We're like, he's a member of the club, but they all fucking hate him. (laughs) I hope nobody out there ever gets Ted Cruz syndrome. That would be really terrible for you. Don't catch Ted Cruz syndrome. (laughs) And John, I googled Ron DeSantis $53 million. And your story that you're citing from Twitter slash X is indeed true. I'm seeing it in other places. So you can stay on the show. Thank you. (laughs) I was going to say, I've earned my keep. Also, we have one more item to give listeners a heads up on. 
I wanted to plug something that Andrew did recently. Um, A friend of the show, Morgan, has actually launched a new podcast called That Nerd Thing, in which she is interviewing members of fandom from people who may hold more prominent spots in a fandom, all the way to people who are just super fans and nerds in their own right. Andrew was actually on one of the first episodes that Morgan recorded, and it is out now. So we'll provide a link in our show notes so you can check out the episode. Uh, It was such a good episode. It was such a good listen. And it was it was so (laughs) weird to hear Andrew telling. No, no, no. I don't mean weird in a bad way. I just mean like to hear Andrew talking about this experience of the Harry Potter fandom and what it was like to come up in it. And I'm like, yeah, I know these stories, but it's weird because I'm listening to Andrew tell them to somebody else. Yeah. It's like show, but it was showy Andrew too, you know? So it's like, yeah, I, like, <laughs> I also listened to this episode today because over the weekend, Laura texted us and she was like, it was such a good episode. It was so much fun. And I was like, well, I got to listen to this episode, you know, love supporting friend of the show and love supporting anything you all do. I thought you were going to say it was weird listening, Laura, because you were listening to me and you couldn't talk back to me. Normally, you know, when you're listening to me blab here on Millennial or MuggleCast, you can say, Andrew, you're wrong. (laughs) There. Yeah, I mean, I was taking notes the entire time. I had my notes app out and I had a running list. So uh, don't worry, that'll, that'll be coming to you in due haste. (laughs) Laura is going to be on this podcast as well. She hasn't mentioned yet. So you can look forward to that in the weeks ahead. So Yeah, we'll definitely plug it when it comes out. It was a super fun time. And Morgan's listening live right now and said is inviting Pam. So we'll just (laughs) tell Pam to get on the show now. No pressure. But if you're you're interested, email me, Morgan, and we'll figure it out. (laughs) Don't email me, I guess. I'm not involved. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I'll just listen we'll just in. retire from podcasting and be Morgan's bookers. So, yeah, there, <laughs> there you go. go. All right. So, yeah, definitely check that out. Coming up in After Dark today on our Patreon and through our Apple Podcast subscription, it's going to be a, um, well, let's call it a friendship bitch fest because <laughs> <laughs> Laura and I had a couple of things going on recently that we thought could make for a good After Dark discussion. It might also be part of a new series on friendship. Honestly, we came up with some other ideas as well in terms of talking about how to manage friendship. So I think over the next two, three weeks, we might have a couple of different friend-focused After Darks in which we... Uh, try to figure out the best ways to manage friendships. So it should be a good one and it'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial and through the Apple podcast paid subscription. Thanks everybody who supports us. We couldn't do this without you. And we'll jump into our discussion on Gypsy Rose and Stan culture. But first we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So we're going to jump right into talking about Gypsy Rose, her recent release from prison, and the stand culture that has surrounded her in recent weeks. Um, I am going to confess I feel a little nervous right now because I did give my best effort to writing a brief summary, a brief primer of the Gypsy Rose saga, so that anyone who may not be familiar at home 
uh, gets the gist as we go through this. But I recognize that we have a professional true crime podcaster on the panel. You guys. So, John, please, please feel free to, like, give me a letter grade at the end of this. Um, Listen, can I let me pause you right there? Listen. I appreciate, you know, Andrew set me up as a true crime expert earlier. And, you know, earlier on in my career, I kind of didn't like that because I didn't consider myself like an expert. But after 500 plus episodes at this point, I kind of am okay with the expert part of it. But what a lot of people don't understand is, although, yes, I tell these stories and it's a big part of my life, I am not an encyclopedic knowledge of every single case so Lara, please do your thing i'm sure you've done an amazing job at this whatever he sees on x he just believes and starts <laughs> yeah i'm throwing out everything into the public well um i would definitely welcome any additional information you think would be helpful to kind of uh give the story some color and give folks more context so gypsy rose blanchard is a victim of munchausen syndrome by proxy This is where her mother made her and everyone in their community believe that Gypsy Rose was sick. And as a result, her mother had all kinds of medical interventions taken to fit the narrative, like having a feeding tube implanted and making her believe she was wheelchair bound. There's even more than that. You can definitely look up the details. And as Gypsy Rose's world expanded, she began learning the horrible truth that none of it was true. This escalated to Gypsy Rose and her at-the-time boyfriend hatching a murder plot against her mother, which they were successful in. Gypsy Rose was charged with second-degree murder and spent eight years in prison before being released just in the last month. During her time in prison, public fascination with her story grew because of multiple documentary series and especially the dramatized series The Act on Hulu. And since she's been released, all eyes have been on her and she's been doing interviews. She's been meeting with podcasters, other personalities. She's amassed an Instagram following of 8.3 million followers and even appeared on talk shows like The View and Good Morning America, just to name a couple. So. John, what I love, (laughs) what I love about the fact that we're having you here at this time when this is actively happening is that you've covered this case on your podcast and your show was actually mentioned in Gypsy Rose's book. Yes, it was (laughs) to our very extreme surprise, to be honest with you. First of all, Laura, that was a perfect and wonderful summary. You did a great job. 10 out of 10. I would hire you you to be a researcher any day. And I know you love true crime, so that helps, of course. Yes, it does. (laughs) We kind of took it, and I I posted this on Instagram, because there was this weird sort of badge of honor, even though, you know, given the circumstances, it's a little awkward. But there was this badge (laughs) of honor where (laughs) hopefully, you know, she at least was thankful for the type of coverage that we did do of this case. And we did a lot of research and review and you know, Darren and I are very um, as professional, of course, as we can be when it comes to approaching these type these types of stories. And, you know, Laura, I think you really did a great job because the first words out of your mouth were Gypsy Rose Blanchard is a victim. And I think we have to remember that. And we'll, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get into that. But that was how we approached this case in the past. My big question, John, is did you buy the book? 
I did buy the book. Thank you very much. Yes, like a I physical did. copy. I mean, you should be proud. No, your old podcast <laughs> is, you know, printed in this book. I know. I know. Um, no, I think that this book is only an ebook. As far as I can tell, oh, it was really? only released via ebook. I could be yeah. wrong. If you want to check on that, well, oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just right. an ebook. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I have a feeling. By the way, this book came out. I think literally like the day after she got out. So, I have a hunch it was like being written, and there is a co-author on it. Like while she was still in prison, maybe right. unsure about yeah. getting out. I have a hunch that she'll probably do an autobiography, like with a big, big publisher coming mm-hmm. up soon. Eventually, that's typically how these things go. It's so fascinating to me looking at a Gypsy Rose Blanchard kind of paving the way and showing us what the jail to influencer pipeline could look like. Yeah. Have we ever seen anyone else do that? Anyone who became a celebrity while in jail and then their profile just blew up as soon as they got out? I mean, I don't think so. Like nobody, especially like this. I think, you know, there are a lot of different factors at play here. And I thought a lot about like, how did she get eight point whatever million followers? Like, how does that even happen? A lot of things are different about Gypsy's case than any others. Number one, first of all, I think we should we shouldn't go any further without reiterating that Gypsy herself did not murder anybody. The act, right. which is, of course, the Hulu show. Um, she didn't do the act. So that does come into play. And we can talk about like the sentencings and all that type of stuff. So there's that factor, you know, which I think gives her a little more leverage to be back out into, you know, civilization and interacting with people. Um, and then I think the act on Hulu really did add so much to this discussion that may not have otherwise, you know, come up because it was a huge success on Hulu. Many, many millions of people watched it. It sort of took the story, and I remember like kind of noticing it whenever the act came out. It took the story to like yet another level. Some people call it the Netflix effect with true crime documentaries in particular, but this time it's Hulu. It's just stories that, you know, have been around for ages or you've heard of that get a 45 minute documentary on Netflix and suddenly they're the biggest thing in the world. So I think that's the second thing. And then the third thing is TikTok. I think that tick, true crime TikTok and gypsy memes and trends that happen on TikTok that I see a lot, just, of course, getting served to me as a true crime person, um, very severely um, affected her overall fame. To add on to that, this photo that she posted of herself, this selfie with the caption for selfie of freedom, that went viral when she posted it. I had not heard of Gypsy Rose. I was not paying attention at all. <laughs> I never heard of her. Wow. And I start seeing this photo everywhere. And I I I did I tried to avoid Gypsy Rose because this was December 29th, I'm seeing. It was over the holidays. I just didn't care. I was trying to be on the internet less, but I couldn't avoid it. And then I, I resisted for like two weeks and I finally started looking into it. But she did go viral, I think, in part because of this photo. It's her in a hotel room, suitcases on the floor. I think I see a pack of beer on the floor for a selfie <laughs> of freedom. It's funny. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Do you know what's even funnier? And I'm sure that other people probably would be in my boat if you're not like in the true crime world. I definitely have never really gotten into that genre, but I know it's very popular and I respect that. But like as a musical theater nerd, the only Gypsy Rose I had ever heard of was from Gypsy the Musical. 
So, you know, oh. if you're seeing a lot of these. Very <laughs> different yeah. thing. Very different. Know, but that's all like I ever was like Gypsy Rose. Gypsy Rose. I was like Gypsy Rose Lee, like from the musical, you know, <laughs> like Patty Lapone. Yeah, what? exactly. And it, that's why also for like some context, if you guys are seeing like some silly little like musical uh, yeah. memes go viral it's because of this connection so <laughs> i don't know if anyone else the same boat as me but that was like the first thing that i thought of because i was like what is going on here another thought i did have was she does have a pretty colorful name like that is a unique name that stands out like that alone captures your attention gypsy rose you're not wrong no that's a very good point andrew because you know jane doe for lack of a better term here no pun intended is less memorable than you know, there's also like kind of like a rhythm to her name that makes it a little more, you know, yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's very you. Southern. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very Southern. There's like double first names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. To, to get back to your question, Laura, in terms of going from jail to influencer overnight, I see this happening more as time goes on because I I'm thinking about particularly the other way around, more people going to prison for social media scams. And actually, you have a story that you caught recently. Yeah. So you can actually see this on the Department of Justice's website. Um, I'm not too familiar with the influencer um, sort of like at like a granular level. Um, But A Miami woman was sentenced in federal court in Boston for fraudulently obtaining over $1 million in pandemic-related loans using the stolen identities of more than 10 individuals and then using those funds for personal expenses, including chartering a private jet and renting a luxury apartment. And you have to think the level of access she had to be able to do that and probably the way she got caught was all because of social media and, and being an yeah. influencer and having giving that reach. Anna Delvey. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually. She probably wants Shonda Rhimes to make a show about her, too. <laughs> Pretty much. But see, that that is an example of somebody that had fame before they went to jail. You right. Know? So, yeah, the only other example I can think of and we can like move along after this is, do you guys remember Prison Bay? But, oh, my like, God. That was yes. like I forgot two about seconds of fame. Yeah. And the guy literally was just like a thing because he was attractive. Yeah. yeah that's right. Oh my God. Don't even hey, get me I started. Mean... That's like a whole subgenre of true crime. Like, you know, a lot of people, you know, this whole like Ted Bundy's so hot type of thing. I just. Yeah. It, it really gets to me. You know, I, I really hate that stuff. But. I'm looking at yeah. Prison Bay now. Jeremy Meeks. I missed this when it when it happened. But yeah, he's hot. I guess I can't say. I that. Mean, like, <laughs> I feel like that also like he didn't leads really well. Oh, okay. Into like the the rest of this discussion because like you know Gypsy Rose Blanchard she she's not a bad looking young lady. So I think that that helps. That she's very like girl next door pretty. She she has a very like innocent looking face, and I think that people see pictures of her out and about enjoying her life and. I don't know. I think that that probably adds to the intrigue in addition to this wild story that she has. Yeah. I think what's so fascinating about it is I just feel like social media and just the, the degree to which we are increasingly connected to everything all the time is really just kind of accelerating 
a trend that has existed for a while, which is there's always been um, fanboys and fangirls of sort of like high security inmates. I mean, Bundy had them. Manson had them. I mean, you can look at any number of high profile serial killer and learn that they were receiving fan mail from people and they had, you know, people really trying to figure out how they could throw themselves at these inmates. So the trend has existed, but I feel like it's just amped up to 11 now with the internet making it so easy and accessible. And I think that Gypsy Rose is married and the man met her while she was in prison, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was one of those. Yeah. yeah exactly. He started writing he started writing her letters. He didn't know oh, her man. before she went to jail. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of feels like the tide has shifted a little bit recently on Gypsy Rose. Initially, um, it seemed like it was all positive feedback. It was all celebratory of her as a person and her getting her freedom. Lots of like Yas Queen, like live your best life. <laughs> but in the last like week and a half, it really seems like people are starting to stop and be like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> is she is she manipulative? Right. Is it weird that she's out of jail? her boyfriend who actually committed the crime is serving life in prison and perceptions seem to be getting a little more mixed. What do y'all make of that? The story about Gypsy Rose has largely been told by other people. You know, we know what happened. We see the act, you know, she has some prison interviews. Yes. But like now she's out and now her behavior is going to be monitored by Mm. eight point something million people and they're gonna have um you know opinions about that and then when you add in all of the mental what's the term not ill maybe some mental illness but like the mental stunting of of her development because think about her childhood and then when she was 18 she went to jail for all these years there's gonna be and i hate to make this term but it's so similar you know we've seen something almost similar with britney spears like she had a very tumultuous upbringing and we're seeing the effects of that i think in on some of her social media so i think now under the lens of the world we're going to see how she has entered society without really having the social development that all of us have had and now she's going to get all this judgment and all of these people are going to say all these things so it's almost like a lose lose. And I and I hate the fact that she jumped out and immediately got on Instagram, immediately went on The View. Somebody should have, I mean, who, I don't know, but transitioned her into society a little bit before she starts going on like a big press tour. And I think we're going to see a lot of negative reaction to yeah. what's come from that. She's been in jail her entire life, is yeah. the thing. And whether or not she had all these experiences, what happened to her as a child, going through prison. Even if that all never happened, if you become a celebrity overnight, nobody's prepared for that. Exactly. So Good I like point. your point, yeah. John. And and I agree with you. It's sort of like there's been this debate around Britney. Who is helping her? Because it doesn't seem like someone is. Who yeah. is helping Gypsy Rose? Maybe she has an agent at this point. I don't know. But you need media training. You need to be. I mean, <laughs> and when you do become a social media star, it can go to your head. And we're going to talk about billionaires in a little bit. 
when you become a billionaire, when you become vastly successful, you start getting a little nuts. You start thinking you are right all the time. Fame gets to your head. Success gets to your head. Well, and to that point on um, not I'm not saying that this I, mean, I don't want to speculate too much, but that I think John referenced her uh, interview on The View. One of the women on there was basically telling her that she didn't do anything wrong. And she just kept repeating, like, no, I did. I did a bad thing. That's why I went to jail. And I, I think that it's great that she um, has the hindsight right now to be like, I appreciate what you're trying to do. But actually, like, I was put away for a reason and I did do something bad. But if you have enough people around you continuously operating the way that this host did, then, I mean, don't you start to believe that maybe you did do nothing wrong? And maybe yeah, it's okay to act the way you used to. You know, it'd be another great book. I actually didn't do anything wrong. Okay, OJ. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> if I did do something wrong. Pam, I want to um, just reference that view interview really quickly, because I know the moment you're talking about, and I think that they later clarified that the host was sort of misunderstanding what Gypsy was saying in that moment. Uh, okay. But to that point though there are still many people that still kind of think that way i mean we i see it all the time i mean there's been fierce debate on my with the fans of my show about you know did she do something wrong you know and i think there's a lot of conversation that we should talk about in terms of her as laura mentioned right at the top being a victim of child abuse i mean let's say i, I i'm an uncle or something or a neighbor or something and i know that a parent is putting a feeding tube into a child that does not need it, having multiple surgeries that are not needed, and having teeth removed. You know, another thing that you can see is Gypsy has like silver teeth, like now, like you can see it in all of her photos. And that's because her mother had her teeth removed, her adult teeth removed. For no reason. For no reason, for the condition she was suffering from. And for me, it's like, you can't you have to empathize whether you realize what she did was right or wrong you have to empathize with someone being pl- pushed into a corner as a child dealing with all this stuff how you know we're only human beings yes we can step on the outside and say oh you shouldn't have done that and, if, and she has somehow miraculously understood and had the wherewithal of understanding that what she did was in fact extremely wrong this could have gone a completely different way let's be honest about that we see it all the time I do have a sense of empathy for her in that regard. And no, of course, you shouldn't go kill somebody. But when you're a victim of child abuse and you are that victim and you have no other way out, I think that's why she got paroled, frankly, by the way, as well. And mm-hmm. Nick Godijan did not. So there's that. I think I agree with you. And yeah. I think I would add to what you said. Put yourself in her shoes. You do not know what you would be doing at that point. You do not know how desperate you would be to take care of the situation. And as a child, by the way, I mean, children don't have the literal mental capacity to understand how to escape and survive that type of abuse. And it's not just child abuse. It's all kinds of abuse. The Me Too movement. I mean, a lot of remember, and unfortunately, this still happens. You know, there's so much victim blaming with women because they didn't go and run and tell right away or they didn't film the rape. So there's no yeah. evidence. I mean, it's it's very similar conversation. And it's it's the sad reality about abuse in general is like, you know, when you're pushed into a corner and there's no way out, what else can you do? I mean, that's the I hate to say it. It's a lot of conversation that happens in true crime stories. It's women pushed to a limit 
and they feel like the only way out is to murder. And it's tragic, but it's the reality of our human condition in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I think when you sit with that, with that reality, you can hold both pieces, right? You can have I empathy, agree. but you can also say that was still wrong. And, right. you know, justice, you know, justice yes. still needs to be served, even though I'm going to step back and look at the situation realistically and be like, well, I don't know what Dee Dee Blanchard expected. <laughs> it's true. You know? I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think we just I think in general, we're we're too quick to kind of jump into the sports team mentality on this kind of issue and on all other kinds of issues. It's like we have to have the hot take. So it's either like mm-hmm. she is completely infantilized and can do no wrong and is a sweet, innocent, pure little baby who never <laughs> heard a fly or she is this ruthless manipulator basically a murderer murderer by proxy and there's like no in between and the reality yeah. is most of the truth is in the in between and on the latter it's they true. also add how dare you lift her up and bring attention to her and right. right right one of the things if just to add one last thing here is that i've really noticed myself even evolving on over the years <laughs> now especially cuz i i'm trying to learn you know is just like anybody else's You know, a lot of people just kind of blanket stereotype anybody that's been to jail. So if you're a nonviolent drug user that's gone to jail for marijuana possession, you are equal to a serial killer. And that's not necessarily like um, a conscious thought in people's minds. It's just we have grown up in our generation and above us thinking that jail, anybody who's gone to jail, that's it. You're you're the worst of the worst. Go to jail. Yeah, there's no rehabilitation for you. You're canceled. You're the scum of the earth. When what we really need to do is take a look at like, okay, who are the violent, you know, people that should be in jail and should continue to stay away from society? And who are the ones who can, like Gypsy Rose, in my opinion, you know, learn the lesson and re-enter society rehabilitated and be a productive member of society? That you know, there's not one size fits all when it comes to how justice has served, which is Laura just put so so well. And that is something I myself have really come to understand and, and try to understand as clearly as I can. And I think when you compare it to Nick Godijohn, who was her boyfriend who actually murdered Gypsy's mother, you know, he's in jail for life without parole. So he doesn't get a chance to get out the way Gypsy did. And I have, I think that's a little bit too severe of a sentence. Listen, I'm not saying there's like, you know, murder is murder and there's no justification for it. But given the circumstances, given that someone he loved, or at least, you know, whatever love is at that stage in, in their life, was the victim of abuse. You know, I just feel like it's a little harsh to go without parole. But that's just me rambling a little bit more about, you know, the <laughs> the prison system and the justice right. system and and frankly, just prisoners re-entering society because I think we need to take a closer look at it. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I think Gypsy Rose is a really good example of that. And maybe hopefully something we can all take away from this case is that that's exactly why um, sort of like reintegration into society needs to be looked at more closely and, and thought of with more care. But mm-hmm. I wanted to keep us moving in in the connection between Stan culture and Gypsy Rose and specifically throw it to Pam because Pam, you had a really good question 
about the through line of infantilization and stan culture. I think John actually started touching on this when he was talking about Britney Spears. That's somebody else who's also been infantilized because of the way that she was treated when she was very young. But I think that infantilization from between stands and their idols happens a lot. And so obviously we see a certain factor of the Internet infantilizing Gypsy Rose purely because of what she suffered when she was young before and then also spending her you know, entire childhood in jail. But when you look at traditional stand culture, so like just normal people standing celebrities, you also start to see infantilization happen um, at the expense of these hardcore fans thinking that their favorites can do no wrong. Yeah. And Pam, don't um, don't come at me. Don't fight me. <laughs> but I'm using I'm using Taylor Swift as an example here. No, that's not, a good example. Be- I, and I'm not comparing Taylor Swift to Gypsy Rose. They're like there is <laughs> no comparison to be made there. But yet <laughs> I think <laughs> I think Taylor <laughs> Swift <laughs> is immensely talented. I watched the Eras tour. I loved it. Um, I, I do have an appreciation for her as an artist. I will say, uh, Swifties can be a little rabid. And if you, uh, deliver a critique of Miss Taylor, they don't always take it well. And you can end up with like a group pile on in your comments Mm-hmm. If you said something that was even vaguely dismissive or like, oh, that's not really my thing. Um, and it's just so interesting to see that people engage in that behavior when the stakes are so much lower. Honestly, like Taylor Swift is famous and super talented. She's fine. But when we're talking about people getting into these kinds of fights over a convicted, I guess, second degree murderer, <laughs> we would right. call her. It's it's just interesting, again, to see the types of um, hardline stances that people will take. So you just see it manifest in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. I'll throw out another celebrity who is beloved and people say could do no wrong, but maybe she has. Dolly Parton is one of the most beloved people of Ooh. all time, right? Okay, I'm going somewhere yeah. with this. Just, mm-hmm. just hold on. Okay, Moderna, yeah, keep there, keep it going. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> the Dolly vaccine. Yeah, obviously, she's had an incredible career. She's she's a wonderful person. However, and the reason I have this thought is because over the holidays I listened to this podcast called Dolly Parton's America, and she's actually interviewed in this podcast series. It was very good. I highly recommend everybody check it out. She avoids politics at all costs. And this is one of the reasons why she is so beloved, because she has yet to piss anybody off politically. And she is actually (laughs) pressed in this podcast, and she has been pressed in interviews before, what do you think of Donald Trump? And she refuses to take a side. And she says, I believe in this podcast, I will share a stance when the time is right. Dolly, the time has been right for the last few years. You know, yeah, and, and so yeah. some people would say, oh, Dolly Parton can do no wrong. She's an amazing person. I love her to death. She's perfect. I think she should be saying something against Trump when she is asked or saying something about certain Republicans when she is asked because she does get pressed. But she has a fan base of people who obviously love country music, who obviously will lean right. And she does not want to piss them off. 
I think the time has come to piss them off, Dolly, and speak your truth <laughs> if you have a good truth. She also doesn't call herself a feminist, but that's a whole other discussion as well. Well, remember, she's an extremely um, older woman. You know? <laughs> I was wondering <laughs> I if mean, you were going to say old. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an age. Listen, extremely when we were talking older about woman. <laughs> well, listen, when we were talking about the whole like uh, Biden, Trump, uh, Judge Judy thing earlier, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, I really resent the ageism that happens in politics. Yes, they're both very old yeah. people, but they're not the only people working in an administration. I mean, it's like the thought that like he's like anybody, even Trump, you know, I mean, he's, he's, in, you know, has his own issues, but I just really resent ageism. But in this case, I think it is worth noting that she comes from a generation and has learned about a lifetime of that type of stuff. I don't know. I'm just like throwing that out there. But no, that's that's it's, that's fair. It's so interesting though, because she has been so openly embracing of the gay community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I love Dolly that, Parton myself. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I just <laughs> think it's an interesting choice to to be and I mean it's been a long time. I mean, she's been doing that since like the eighties, I think. Right. She's been you know, a loud and proud ally for a long time. And yeah. I just find it curious that she feels comfortable with that, but not with coming out against Trumpism. Mm-hmm. Cause really like she doesn't have to come out against Trump, but you can come out against the ideology. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely a country music thing and not to harp on Taylor Swift too much, but I <laughs> will say that if for as much as I love her, she's guilty of this too. I give mm-hmm. I commend her a lot for doing as much as she did for the queer community in the lover era. But after the lover era, that really got staunched, like it kind of got stomped out. And I'm not really sure why that was the case. We went into the pandemic and clearly there was like a shift, not in her personal mentality or in her beliefs, but in the way that her team clearly sees fit to kind of uh, navigate her. Um And I know that there were a lot of hurt feelings when the Eras tour was happening because while she was making her way through South, the Southern part of America, there was a lot happening in terms of the government trying to take away queer rights. She has a huge queer fan base. And it was really disheartening to see that she didn't want to make more of a statement to let those people know that she was behind them. And she actually didn't even say anything until she got to Chicago, which feels like it was too little too late. You know, I I think that like, even if you're a big fan of hers, I'm a huge fan of Taylor Swift. You can still, um, if you're sound of mind, you should be able to um, love your favorites, but also like be disappointed when they misstep. You know, and they're going to miss that because they're only human. It'll be interesting to see what Taylor does in this upcoming election cycle, too. Yeah. And she has been like really good about like voter registration. Like the numbers go crazy whenever she encourages her fan base to vote and stuff. So she's doing some small stuff. But it's just like the the stark contrast to like how she came out guns blazing Um, again, like in the lover era versus like her quiet activism now is just (laughs) insane it's night and day so i think a lot of fans that like myself who've been following her for a long time are just like what what is going on here like there's like a little bit of a disconnect between what you were saying and doing um during like this period of her life also in like 
in this documentary that came out on Netflix, like half of that was like the journey of her trying to find her voice again and become more political. And then like her kind of taking a little step back now. So anyway, this is not to like pile on the hate. I think that like, (laughs) if you're already a Taylor Swift hater, you shouldn't like use this as ammo, but I think that like, I just want this to like set a good example for people that are also fans or stands that you can still be that. And also like, point out when your favorites do something wrong or yeah. like what you think is wrong. Yeah. I agree. You make a, so many good points. And I, I almost wonder if both Taylor and Dolly and maybe even, you know, Beyonce, even to a certain effect, maybe they feel like they can be more effective in their own messaging. And, you know, think about Dolly with the whole Moderna thing. Like, did she want that to get out? That doesn't feel like something that she would probably have wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. You know, was she trying to keep that a secret? Like maybe they're they are more effective in funding the Moderna vaccine or funding um, any other cause behind the scenes without making the stance. And so, in the political game of the entertainment industry, they feel like they can be more effective in their messaging and their purpose that way. That's the only reason that I can really think of when it comes to this type of um, mm-hmm. I don't know, behavior is the right word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's also like a case to be made for wanting to keep like, um, you know, concerts, a safe space for all people. Right. True. Like you don't want to turn yeah. your big arena tour into a, a um, like a political rally, a rally. that could yeah. potentially <laughs> endanger your fans. It's right. True. Yeah. But there are other ways to go about it and, and to still and- be a good ally. So Just speaking of political rallies, I'll just cut in here real quick to say that in the last few minutes, uh, they are calling New Hampshire for Trump. So, yeah, that was really quick. It happened like 20, 30 minutes ago. I didn't want to jump in. I was waiting for the right moment. I was like, somebody's (laughs) going to bring up politics and I'm going to jump in. Kool-Aid man my way into the conversation. We'll discuss a recent Ariana Grande story and other celebrities who we've evolved on, let's say, over the years. But first, a quick break. We'll be right back. Speaking of blind idolization and not entertaining a single critique, there's actually been a little bit of drama around another celebrity. Pam, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, this is way more small potatoes than like, you know, (laughs) trying to be a good ally to the LGBTQ plus community. But we would be remiss not to bring up Ariana Grande when we're talking about all this, because this is a prime example of um, like blind idolization happening in real time. So last week, Ariana Grande released her newest single. She hasn't released a new single in quite a while. The song's called Yes And. And this stretched up a lot of discourse centered around her current relationship with fellow actor Ethan Slater. So um, they met on the set of Wicked, the Wicked adaptation, which the first part is coming out, I think, in December of this year. And they were both married. And the lines are very blurry with regards to when both of them decided to end their um, marriages and when they started being seen together. That's not a very good look. And in this song, I don't know if you guys have heard it. Love it. Yes, I like it a lot. There's a line on the bridge where she sings, why do you care so much whose dick I ride? And so a lot of people were saying that this isn't really poor taste because like you broke up a marriage and now there's like a single mother out there because of this. And then on the other hand, you had 
the Ariana stands who were saying that, well, that you can't really prove that she ruined a marriage. And so you owe her an apology for calling her a homewrecker because you guys are wrong. So <laughs> this is like this. I think that this happens time and time again. Right. And Laura was alluding to this with like the Swifties. Anytime you have a very passionate fan base, anytime someone says their favorite is doing something wrong, they're going to say, well, actually, you're wrong. And like you should rot in hell for that. But, you know, it's not really good to be one extreme or the other. Right. I really appreciate when somebody can be like, you know what? I admit my favorite did something inappropriate. This also kind of reminds me of when, what was it, two years ago, Lizzo and Beyonce both used a certain slur in their songs, respective yeah. songs. Mm-hmm. And everybody was just sort of like, eh, you know, it's it's not their fault. But I think the buck stops with them. And we should be more willing to criticize them specifically when these types of issues occur. Nobody's going to be perfect. Everybody's going to be making mistakes along their way, especially when you have very long careers like Beyonce already has and will continue to have. Taylor will. Lizzo probably will. Sounds like she's been uncanceled. I mean, it's inevitable. Mistakes are inevitable. And we have to be able to call them out and also be willing to forgive depending on the circumstances and just hope they're going to do better in the future. Beautifully put. I agree. I think so I, mean, too. I, I think I'm done for today. You think so? You think you're good? <laughs> Pat yourself. Look, he's patting himself on the back right now. And on a high note. I will take a little bit of a true crime stance on this because I'm not a stan. I certainly love Ariana Grande. In fact, I worked with Ariana Grande in 2012 before she um oh, I should tell that story sometime. She was not nice i'll just put that out there for now but anyway so and and knowing that i still think that like yeah do we know exactly what happened with these four people like i feel like this this kind of like judgment of of extremely personal situations and romantic relationships i mean i'm very protective of this type of stuff and i'm not a celebrity i don't want people like you know picking apart any single thing that has anything to do with this in my life and so I'm not necessarily saying that they didn't break up these marriages, but at the same time, like, unless you're a part of this situation, why even insert yourself? I mean, that's just my approach to celebrity gossip in general, to be completely honest with you. I guess in this case, and again, case by case basis, people feel like they're entitled to weigh in because she threw it out there. Right. Like she that's gave fair. an opening. And it's funny because this song, I, I agree with Andrew, it's very catchy. The rest of the song has nothing to do with her new love, right? Right. So it's kind of weird that she decided to like open the floodgates unto herself. That's a good point. There's a lot of like really negative, uh, like judgment of Ethan Slater's like physical appearance that I see on social media too. Like there's no way Ariana Grande could ever fall Mm. in love with a guy that looks like this. And it's just that alone just really turns me off from anybody that has any kind of like um, judgment towards the situation because I'm like, grow up. I mean, are we still in a world where we're we're judging what who people like and fall in love with? I mean, that I really don't particularly like. But anyway, yeah. in answer to you, unfortunately, yeah, we are still in that world. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just gonna be cynical here and say <laughs> if including it in her song with no other context keeps. Her name in the press keeps social media focus and reporting focus on her. 
uh, it keeps her in the news and it keeps the money printing. So there's part of me that feels like it was very intentional and yeah. and mm-hmm. probably done with the knowledge that this would continue to, you know, fan the fire, as it were. But that's just me being cynical. So confirmation bias. Um, have we yes. ever been guilty of it ourselves when it comes to a celebrity we really like in an effort to continue to see the good in them? We mentioned Bill Maher from time to time. I still really like watching his show real time on HBO. What bothers me about how the media covers Bill Maher is that there will be posts and stories about one sentence that he says in an episode of his show. And I think they often get pulled out of context because I will be watching the episode typically on Friday night and then the media covers it Saturday. And then they, I see this on Twitter and they pull one line out and I'm like, all right, well, did you actually listen to the rest of it? Like with a lot of celebrities, um, people love to harp on Bill Maher. And so maybe this is just my confirmation bias because I have been a big fan of Bill Maher. Laura got me into watching his show like back in 2010, and I've been watching pretty much every Friday since then. I do think he has gotten increasingly annoying, but I still really enjoy a lot of his takes. And I think people would actually find themselves, people on the left would find themselves agreeing with him more often than they would expect. Uh, but the media kind of blows it out of proportion. Maybe this is my confirmation bias, though. I don't know. I have the ex- I almost have the exact same trajectory with Bill Maher. Was like a huge fan circa 2010. Honestly, Laura may have actually t- put me onto him as well, <laughs> knowing knowing us. <laughs> my fault. That's right. Indoctrinating everybody back in the day. <laughs> um, and I ha- I've had the same kind of trajectory, but I think it's also again it has a lot to do with I think social media because. Now we can fact check Bill Maher in a way that we probably couldn't even in 2010. We can go back and look at clips and we can compare and contrast. And those of us who were maybe, you know, of a certain age at that point have matured a little bit and maybe can go back. Like I've seen a lot of clips of him on TikTok justifiably uh, criticizing things that he said in the past, Mm. um, specifically about Islam and things like that, that are just people were going with it at the time. And then you kind of, you know, life goes on and you learn from it and you're just like shocked to hear it. But, but yeah, maybe there's a little confirmation bias across the board there. I've, I've since gone away from that kind of like, not, I don't, it's not extremist. That's not the right word, but you know, the kind of intense political kind of commentary, it's just mentally exhausting for me. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. But I, I like no more because they go there, but also they keep it light and funny. That's why I appreciate it. But like, I can't watch CNN before anymore because it's just exhausting too much. Mm, Yeah. Agreed. I, I will still watch real time, like once in a blue moon, usually if he has a guest on that I'm interested in, but I have to say, I feel like I've, I've really gravitated away from him because I feel like he's I feel like he embodies in a lot of ways what we're talking about when we say, okay, boomer, because he (laughs) he's he is that old guy who is a progressive of his era, I suppose, but who feels like "Ah, we've we've gone far enough. We don't need to do that other stuff. And 
As a result, he's been super problematic in conversations about Islam, like you mentioned, John, super problematic in conversations about trans people. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes, I don't know, I feel like I'm more, more often than not watching him. I feel like he is metaphorically jacking himself off. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, like, I just, I don't have the same connection with him that I once did. And that's okay. He harps a lot on cancel culture these days as well. And I used to want to see him live. He's in Vegas at least twice a year. He comes through quite a bit. So I used to be like, oh, great. I'm living here now. I'll definitely go see him. But I just know he's going to be harping on cancel culture as part of his stand up routine. I don't want to hear it from him. I'm so exhausted about from his television show. Yeah. <laughs> when he shares those views. Isn't there sort of like a Trump esque thing with the way he communicates that messaging? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I just yeah. want to yeah. hear that from somebody else because I feel <laughs> like I feel like when I'm watching these clips, like new clips or I don't watch the show, so I catch it when I catch it, but it's like I don't like the just the way you're communicating to your audience. It feels like a rally. I know mm-hmm. that's obviously not his political alignment, but no, but I think that he has looked at right-wing talking heads yes. and seen how successful that model yes. is and is trying to emulate it. And that is my problem with him. So I thank agree. you for saying that. <laughs> Enough about him, though. How about some other comedians, Laura? I think you're kind of burnt out on a couple others. Yeah. So, I mean, I used to be a big fan of Louis C.K. and Dave Chappelle. Um, Louis C.K., obviously, huge fucking creep. And... <laughs> That ruins it for me. Dave Chappelle broke my heart because I used to adore him. And to be honest, I still think some of what he has done in the past has been funny. But similar to Bill Maher, I feel like he is a man of a certain age who is locked in on how far progress should go. Mm -hmm. Right. He feels like he's seen enough. And as a result of seeing something new to his eyes happening in the world that he doesn't understand, he thinks that it's terrible, ridiculous, whatever adjective you want to associate with it. And this man who is a literal millionaire will stand up on stage and complain about being canceled. And I'm like, (laughs) you're not fucking canceled if you still book live shows and you still make all this money. Stop. So to me, I'm just burned out on that whole approach of these like one percenters complaining about being canceled. Like, shut up. Pam, how about you? Anyone uh, who you no longer stand I went through a phase where I was really um, a huge fan of Chris Hardwick, and then he got slapped with some um, sexual assault allegations and a couple of other things, just general abuse allegations. And I think that the part that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way as well, in addition to like this letter his ex put out, was that his wife was like so vocally out 
and like um, so in support of the Me Too movement at the time. But then all of a sudden, like when it was her husband, like believe victims just went right out the window. And I get it. It's really hard to hold the people that you love accountable. But I just thought that it was like in very poor taste for her not to at least come out and be like, listen, you know, like I. I understand that this, I don't know, she probably should have just like not said anything at all instead of coming out and being like, of course I support my husband. Anyway, um, I think and that's that, Lydia Hurst, right? Was that yes, who he was? Yes, that's Lydia Hurst. Yeah. So I've worked with I her will, before. She's a really nice person, just for the, I've heard she's really nice. Yeah, she's I just great. like, it, I just thought it was just like too bad that she had come out so strongly in support of Me Too and then she had to like walk that back basically because it was mm-hmm. like all of a sudden like not all victims just some victims right and then to, to add the layer of who quickly. her mother oh, is go on. oh i'm sorry oh I'm yeah i'm so sorry pam patty hearse yeah yeah <laughs> so it's like what what are you doing yeah it all comes back to true crime right <laughs> it does it really always does <laughs> yes i just i don't i don't want to like um finish off this uh without as far as like internal investigations go he has been cleared and that's why he's like back to work but um, I don't know. I just like it kind of got really disenchanted yeah. after that. And I just stopped listening to his podcast, which I, w- I was like listening to every week. I love his interview style to this day. Um, great yeah, talent. it was just really disappointing. Yeah, that type of thing leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I think Laura will appreciate this one, too. Jonathan Majors. <sighs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was so annoying. I'm like, you are so talented. You have the whole world in front of you. And now this, like you're that shitty of a person um, that you, it's just so heartbreaking in a sense. Not like in an empathetic way, just about what his life has become. Right. No, I was, I was really excited for him because I first saw him in Lovecraft country. I think that was really Mm -hmm. where he got big and, I thought he was phenomenal and I was so excited when he got cast in the MCU, loved him in season one of Loki, was so stoked. And then, you know, the rest is history. Some tapes got released and now they're having to rewrite this phase of Marvel, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll also just add Steve Jobs, actually. I mean, we've talked about Mm. there's some bigger ones we'll leave out this time. J.K. Rowling, Elon. Um, But Steve Jobs... I used to worship Steve Jobs. Laura, John, and I were together for the release of a new (laughs) Mac operating system. And we all excitedly put the freaking disc in our computers and upgraded in a hotel room. It was like one of the nerdiest things ever. ever. We have to stop telling this story at some point, the three of us. (laughs) No, so so I used to love Steve Jobs, and I still do. um, But... As time's gone on, we've started hearing more things about him, particularly about how he treated his family and that he was a terrible boss. Like he would just fire people on the spot, um, like sight unseen just for looking at him the wrong way. Like you ended up we ended up finding out he wasn't that great of an actual like human being in some ways. And (laughs) he's the type of person where I'm like. What would have happened if he hadn't gotten cancer and he continued to live on and be a successful uh, CEO of a major tech company? Would he have turned in to one of these Elon Musks or J.K. Rowling where they also fall in love with Twitter and then they start spouting all of their crazy views on Twitter? Mm. I wonder if Steve Jobs would have been those that type of person because he seems like he was one of those people who couldn't be told no. He couldn't be told he was wrong unless by a very small group of people. Like Johnny Ive, his his 
designer partner at Apple. Um, so if there's, sorry for this thought, but if there's one good thing <laughs> about someone dying too soon, it's that they left us before they fucked up. Oh, any worse boy. than they may wow. have already done but i also just think like there's something you know like freddie mercury of queen he went out at the top of his career there were, we never saw the possibly inevitable downfall of freddie mercury so i just wanted to throw that out there sometimes um people might leave us before we see a side of them we wish we didn't that's fair and yeah. Jonathan Majors was similar. I mean, if you listen to those tapes, I I reluctantly listened to the. Laura, did you listen to the tape? Yeah, I did. It's it's so Kanye esque, but on like almost like another level of just narcissism. And it ever all the allegations just kind of like really came into into play there. Unfortunately, mm. yeah, it. it was unsavory. I was like, who am I listening to right now? Yeah. I, it, it's so bizarre to hear a real person who exists in the same society as the rest of us although i guess they're <laughs> on a different plane of it but talk that way because i'm like what what planet are you from <laughs> for sure yeah well this has been a really interesting discussion today about how we treat celebrities and gypsy rose and others so john thanks for helping us with today's discussion of course thank you so much for having me yeah are you going to hang around for After Dark? Do you have time? Yeah. yeah okay. Let's do it. Absolutely. Hell Thank you. yeah. I was hoping you wouldn't be here because you were one of the friends I wanted to bitch about. But all right. I'll just oh, I'll wow. edit my notes okay. accordingly. Listen, it's I've got a whole list of things for you, <laughs> Mr. Sims. <laughs> so Laura and I have in particular, and I'm sure uh, John and Pam will chime in, have recently encountered some friendship drama and we'll discuss what's going on as well as how we should be setting our own expectations when it comes to friends. Like I said, this might turn into a new mini series in After Dark because we have some other friend related topics to tackle as well. After Dark is part of Mega Millennial, which is the main show ad free with After Dark attached to the end. And if you're a Spotify user, you can tap into the show, then click the Patreon banner. You'll be able to access the Patreon audio benefits like Mega Millennial right within Spotify. You can also get Mega Millennial within Apple Podcasts. Just tap into the show. There's a subscribe button. Whether on Apple or Patreon, there are free trials available as our annual subscriptions that will save you some money. Many other benefits, too, at patreon.com slash millennial. So thanks, everybody who supports us. And now it's time for some recommendations. What do you got for us, Laura? Uh, since we're talking true crime this week, I wanted to be on theme and recommend American Nightmare on Netflix. This is so infuriating to watch, but it is a wild ride. It's three I episodes. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, honestly, you'll be watching it and... A few minutes will go by and you'll be like, oh, now we're going this way. And then it zigs another way and it zags another way. And you're like, where is this going? It's wild. It's wild. And I'm not going to spoil anything. Y'all should just watch it. So for me, first of all, I have a regularly scheduled rec, but I just wanted to add that I forgot prior to sitting down to record that I had a pimple patch on my chin. So if anybody sees that on social media, <laughs> I apologize. Um, I will do better to remember to take these off. But we've recommended these on the show before. And what's nice about them is you kind of can't see them. I see myself very I was small. Say, right yeah. I don't see it at all. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. So that's a little bonus rec. But... <laughs> 
keeping with my theme of travel-related recommendations <laughs> after my cross-country road trip a couple of weeks ago, I want to recommend Love's Travel Stops. When you're on the road, you're looking for places that you can count on for a clean bathroom, some decent food, <laughs> some good drinks, non-alcoholic, of course, uh, friendly customer service. This is sounding like an ad. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Look don't, no don't further going. than Love's yeah. Travel Stops. Oh, another great part of the Love's Travel Stops was they had dog parks. A lot of them did. And that was great because we had our two dogs with us, too. So we let the dogs run around for a little bit in a fenced-in dog park. It was great. However, I the ones I encountered were clean. They were modern. I realize Love's has been around for a while now. Some of them aren't. When I mentioned this to Pam, she was like, oh, interesting, because all the ones I've seen are shit. So I guess, Pam, not all of them are the, as great as the ones I encountered. Well, the ones that I've seen is just like a Love's gas station. It's not really like a, a travel stop destination, you know, <laughs> no dog park. And okay. That's ju- just on the five. So go- <laughs> for me, that would just be like going from San Francisco to L.A. and or San Diego. And yeah, Love's is like my stop is a last resort. Oh. <laughs> that, I feel like that's where I'm going to get murdered. Anti-wreck. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I'm really glad to know that they really upped their game on the other parts of the country. So, yeah, I guess a sidebar wreck here would be you can tell if it's a new one or not. Like they got more modern signage and stuff. John, you're a big fan of Loves, too. I heard I was going to say, yes, (laughs) you heard this because I added it as a comment on today's notes because I was so excited that we were bringing it up (laughs) because I used to live in New York City and I uh, would travel often back to uh, Western Maryland where I'm from. And there's two Love's travel stops that I always knew I was coming home to. So, um, you know, there's just something nice about it. But yeah, I, I almost wonder, Pam, if your Love travel shops are maybe like a different franchise or something. Maybe. Potentially. Yeah. Because yeah. this doesn't sound like the Love's that I know. No, no. <laughs> maybe we're maybe I'm thinking of, we're all thinking of two different things. That would actually maybe. make me feel a lot better about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we have Shane in the Discord saying that he loves Love's and he's a Californian. So I think, Pam, I'm you so- need to spend. Uh, this summer, works for trying for some other loves love <laughs> what do you I only love t- i try to stop like honestly i try and stop twice and that's it so anyway i digress <laughs> um something that i really love and i'm gonna make it my recommendation even though i think i recommended it last year as well is the app story graph and i wanted to recommend it because i know that we're still the beginning of the year a lot of people make a goal to try and read more um, in the new year. And this app has like really helped me read more. I just love their stats and the breakdowns. Um, it's a great alternative to Goodreads. And if you have been a Goodreads user and you are like really scared about making the switch over to another reader tracker because you like um, having like your entire reading history on Goodreads, they make it really easy to import. Um, but I also want to talk about my Um, One of my favorite features, which is a feature called Buddy Reads. So you can actually set up a Buddy Read with like, I I don't even know if they have like a limit on how many people you can Buddy Read a book with. But it's really cool because you can make notes and you can lock them until the other buddy or buddies reach a certain point in the book. So it's really fun because you don't have to worry about like if you're like buddy reading traditionally, maybe with a friend, you text back and forth, but you always have to say like, oh, did you get to this part? You don't have to worry about that if you buddy read on StoryGraph because you can like 
scream about whatever you want and then just lock it until that person gets to whatever part of the book that you read that in. So that's amazing. Yeah, cool. it's, it's a really fun way to um, read along with friends. And yeah, highly recommend Storygraph if you haven't checked it out. John, do you have a recommendation for us? I do. I'm going to be really corny and recommend my true crime podcast, Shaken and Disturbed, <laughs> available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to be a little random and also recommend Pokemon Go. And let me let me tell you why. I know you're thinking, oh, that's so 2016. People were running through Central Park looking for a Snorlax. Yes, that's true. But I have played Pokemon Go, as Andrew knows as well, because Andrew, we used to talk about your brother kind of running out and playing i believe or something along those lines yeah um and i've played every single day since it came out i've gone to pokemon go fest a couple times it's a blast (laughs) but let me tell you why i recommend it right now if you're in the northeast or anywhere else in the world where it's cold it's a really great fun way to get out and get some exercise go catch some pokemon do some tasks feel like you're doing something productive other than just simply walking aimlessly, you know, wherever you may be going. Um, it's it honestly, I will tell you, like not joking, it really has made me want to get out and just kind of explore a little more. Um, I'm new to Pittsburgh full time. I've been here a lot in the past, um, but never lived here. So it's a really fun way to look at the map in the game and be like, oh, this this cathedral is this with all the different history with it or this restaurant is over here and I should go check it out. Um, yeah, I just really highly recommend it. Um, and also catch a Snorlax, of course, if you can. Uh, I, I appreciate you sharing this because I see people still playing Pokemon Go from time to time. And I'm yeah. like, what? And <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's cool that there's still community around it. I mean, obviously, it's a great game. I'm catching a, scra- a Scraggy right now with an Ultra Ball. I haven't loaded this up in probably two, three. Oh, it broke free. I, I gave this. you a rasp. It fled. No. What? All right. I'm done. Andrew. I'm done <laughs> oh again. <my> God. <laughs> No, I should try That's this. Amazing. I mean, I walk with Brooklyn every night, so I should um, see what Pokemon are around around town. Absolutely, add me as a friend, and let me just tell you right now because we're mentioning it on the show. People uh-huh. are being people are going to message you, and they're going to be like, "Can I add you? Can you add me? Can you send me a gift?" I'm telling you, it's going to happen. <laughs> I see that in the Facebook yeah. group. I think from time to time, the millennial one. Yeah. What level are you, John, in Pokemon Go? I'm like 45. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm pretty high up. Yeah, I'm 23. Yeah. I was expecting a lot higher for somebody who's still a daily player, but I guess you're not oh. a true Pokemon master. Oh, wow. um, um, actually, there's wow. only 50 levels. How dare you? I'm leaving right now. <laughs> Goodbye. I see. I I know I could pick on John, and he's not actually yeah, going to piss me. You're uh, just trying to get us warmed up for the friendship bitch fest we're about to do in After oh, yeah. Dark. <laughs> John, thanks again for coming on. Where can our listeners find you? Thank you so much. Yes, I am at Jay Thrasher on Instagram. I'm not I'm not really on X or Twitter anymore like that. Um, and like I said, you can check out the show Shaken and Disturbed if you love a good true crime show. We're over there every single week. Thank Great. you so much for having me, you guys. Thanks so much for coming on. Listeners, make sure you're following the show in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And we would appreciate a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also email millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com to send in some feedback. And of course, we are on social media too, Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Threads. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. After Dark starts in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm John. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.